Hello and welcome to the reading of the Courier. And this is Thursday, the 9th of February. I am your narrator, Peter Welch. And this is IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. Let's take a look and see what's going on here on the paper. Here's the front headlines. Judge rejects Lowell lawsuit. Rules insurer doesn't have to pay to rebuild Waterloo Elementary. A district court judge has sided with an insurance company that claims it doesn't have to pay to rebuild the former Lowell Elementary School following a 2019 roof collapse. The Waterloo Community School District took employers' mutual casualty company to court saying that the carrier refused to honor its policy, which included additional ordinance and law coverage, filing a suit seeking at least $19 million in Polk County District Court in Des Moines in 2021. Employers Mutual agreed to pay for the collapsed roof, but said that the rest of the loss wasn't covered under the policy and asked the court to throw out the suit. In a ruling issued last month, Judge Jeffrey Burt granted the insurance company motion for a summary judgment and assessed that the court costs to the school district. The court finds that the ordinance or law additional coverage does not provide coverage for the age deterioration outside the area of collapse. The policy excludes loss or damage caused by deterioration, uh, Burt went on to say in his ruling. He noted that the original school was built in 1931 and construction methods and building codes have changed. To construe this policy to cover the cost to repair undamaged portions of the building to make the building compliant with current building code requirements would cause insurers to reevaluate premiums for older buildings or worse, to decline to insure them at all. And in essence, then, the district's inter interpretation converts the policy into a general maintenance contract, Bert goes on to say. The roof of Classroom 208 collapsed during a snow day on February 20th, 2019, closing the entire building and routing classes into a retrofitted former Area Education Agency building in Cedar Falls. Inspectors demanded the Collapse was the result of heavy snow weighing on aging mortar in the joist pockets. The incident also triggered a study of the building, which found a deterioration in mortar in, in the walls of parts of the building outside the damaged area. Engineers agreed that the school wasn't safe to occupy without making repairs outside this area of the collapse and the building would have to be brought into compliance with current building codes. The walls had been built with three layers, and aging mortar was found in the load-bearing middle layer. There were no indications that the district knew about the deterioration before the collapse, and that the city never cited the district under the building code, according to court records. Employers Mutual agreed the collapsed roof was covered by the policy and paid about $1.71 million, according to Courier Archives, but it denied coverage for the remaining parts of the school that were still standing, prompting the lawsuit. In the meantime, the demolition of the old school began in May 2020 
and construction of the new Lowell Elementary started shortly thereafter. The new school will be available for students uh, in 2022. Of course, we're already into 2023 right now. Well, we had the State of the Union address uh, the other night, and um, we have a um, an article here. It says, Iowans react to Biden's address. Political figures on both sides of aisle weigh in. Iowa political figures on both sides of the aisle weighed in on Democratic President Joe Biden's second State of the Union address on Tuesday night. Democrats praised the president for setting out a progressive vision for the country and signing into law major bills, including the bipartisan infrastructure package and legislation to promote high-tech manufacturing and limit prescription drug costs for seniors. Republicans, meanwhile, criticized Biden over inflation, immigration, the fentanyl crisis, China, and business regulations. Biden sought to portray a nation that's dramatically improved from the one he inherited two years ago with low unemployment, strong job growth, easing inflation. The president also offered an optimistic outlook about the end of the COVID-19 pandemic. Still, only a quarter of the U.S. adults say that things are headed in the right direction, according to a new poll by the Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs Research. Here's what Iowa polit- politicians and officials had to say about the speech. New Iowa Democratic Party Chair Rita Hart. Here in Iowa, the Biden-Harris administration has created jobs to rebuild and strengthen our bridges and roads to replace the lead pipes poisoning our water and to connect our small towns with high-speed internet access, Hart said, thanks to the bipartisan infrastructure law. Beyond creating good-paying livelihoods that don't require a four-year college degree, President Biden and Democrats have also brought down the sky-rocketing prices of prescription drugs and capped monthly insulin costs for up $35 for Medicare patients, ensuring that our seniors won't go bankrupt trying to stay healthy, Hart said in a statement. We still have a lot of work to do in Iowa, but like the president, I believe that our best days lie ahead. Now, on the other side of the aisle, you've got the Republicans, Republican Governor Kim Reynolds. For too long, Washington has been creating problems and leaving it up to the uh, states to clean up the mess, said Reynolds, who provided last year's Republican Party's response to Biden's first State of the Union address. As Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee, Huckabee, excuse me, Sanders displayed tonight, Republican-led states are leading and delivering, Reynolds said in a statement. The Biden administration has lost every sense of reality. President Biden believes that he's Americans people American people are naive and don't see the crisis and chaos his administration has created. The problems that face our country require new leadership, not a re-election speech. Progress Iowa Executive Director Matt Sinovic. Joe Biden repeatedly offered examples of his successes 
and of bipartisan cooperation, only to be met by MAGA, which is Make America Great Again, Republicans, jeering back at him for saying some in the GOP want to sunset Social Security and Medicare, Sinovic said in a statement. Biden's remarks were a reference to a proposal by Florida Republican Senator Rick Scott to sunset all federal legislation, including that relating to popular programs such as Social Security and Medicare, after five years to be reexamined if a law is worth keeping. Scott has insisted he doesn't want to cut Social Security or Medicare. Biden called on Republicans to stand and cheer an agreement that the social safety net entitlement programs should be protected. It appeared most did. Iowa seniors rely on Social Security and Medicare. They're critical for Iowa families and our communities, Sinovic said. He called on every member of Iowa's all-Republican congressional delegation to declare there will be no cuts, no privatization, no reduction in benefits for Social Security and Medicare. U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican of Iowa, says this. Grassley, who watched the address on television, said it was rude of the president to bring up Scott's proposal, calling it a stupid idea, not supported by House and Senate Republicans. And so the president should not have made as big a deal out of it that, that he did when only one senator has suggested that, Grassley told reporters on Wednesday during a weekly conference call. This is fear-mongering. I think, by the Democrats to score points with the American people. Grassley and Social Security and Medicare are part of the social fabric of America, and we have to be strengthening it and extending it for the benefit of our children and grandchildren. He also criticized for Biden for not talking enough about national security threats, particularly from China. Biden nodded to his decision to shoot down a suspected Chinese spy balloon as evidence that his administration will act to protect our country against threats from Beijing. Grassley, though, said Biden did not give the issue the justice it deserved. The president has come under intense scrutiny from Republicans who say that he was slow to act in downing the balloon days after it was first discovered hovering in Montana, home to one of the nation's three nuclear missile silo fields. All right, let's see here. Let's go now. What else is going on here? Uh, in Cedar Falls is facing a rollback roadblock. The city's finance director declared on Monday that the budget planning is somewhat on pause as officials await word on future legislation to address an error. I should say an error, excuse me in the state's residential rollback percentage. Jennifer Rodenbach told the city council that the impact may be significant, at least $430,000 lost in property tax revenues, because the percentage that's set by the state will likely drop from 56.49% to 54.65%, meaning less of the property's value will be taxable. With the halt in planning, the council did not schedule a public hearing as, as is typical at this stage of the budgeting process. 
She was hopeful that legislation would reach the governor's desk by Friday. But either way, municipalities have been told that their March 31st budget deadline will be extended to make up for the inconvenience of the continued uncertainty in taxable values. Cedar Falls is a bit unusual in that more than 78% of the properties are residential, meaning that the residential rollback is a significant factor in the budgeting process, Rotenbeck continued to say. The impact to municipalities is uncertain. There had been talk that the state may own up to the mistake and take some of the financial burden off of the city's backs. Another reason Rodenbeck explained is that the residential rollback has, has, has an effect on commercial properties because of a new business property tax reimbursement. Of those properties valued, 150000 is being taxed at the residential rollback rate. The remaining value will be taxed at the commercial rollback rate of 90%, which is what we've been applied to the entire property's values the last several years. Council member Daryl Cruz asked the administration how the department is responding to the extreme inflation and if cuts are being made. If you got a 2% increase in valuation, if we kept the mileage rate the same, you got to increase the property tax. Citizens need to know that, says Cruz. Rodenbeck also noted that the city feels like it's responded appropriately and is looking to the council for further direction on future expenditures like staffing additions. The proposal includes a public safety officer, $93,000, property acquisition specialist, $89,700, library assistant, $68,800, and code enforcement officer, $49,600. The additional public safety office officer would be assigned to a police canine program the city's public safety department has proposed starting. Once we figure out some of these unknowns and we get some hard numbers to figure out where we are percentage-wise and levy rate, we'll have to sit down with the council and look at if there are, you know, if there are areas we want to uh, look at cutting, said uh, City Administrator Ron Gaines. The rate initially has been set at 11.65 per $1,000 of taxable property value venues, the 11.51 approved last year. The previous year's rate was set at $11.38. $11.38. Among the other changes to the budget process are the fact that a separate rollback had existed for multi-residential properties, which are mostly apartment complexes, but that percentage has been lowered over the years and now is at the level of the residential rate, meaning it's one and the same now going forward. I'm sure you probably have been aware of the tragic um, earthquake that has uh, that took place in uh, uh, Syria and Turkey. Um, there's a picture here of rescuers and residents searching through the rubble of collapsed buildings Wednesday in the town of Harem near the Turkish border, Idlib province, Syria days after a deadly earthquake. Also, um, the, like a, the picture has a, a lot of people um, 
trying to uh, remove the rubble, trying to find survivors. Anyway, death in Turkey, Syria near 12,000. Now, this was published um, uh, to, uh, to yesterday, but the uh, that number now has gone up to 20,000 people. Uh, hope is fading for rescue teams to find survivors. In Turkey, with hope of finding survivors fading, stretched rescue teams in Turkey and Syria searched Wednesday for signs of life in the rubble of thousands of buildings toppled by the world's deadliest earthquake in more than a decade. The confirmed death toll approached 12,000. Again, as I say, that's been bumped up to over 20,000. Turkish President Erdogan visited the especially hard-hit Hatay province, where more than 3,300 people died and entire neighborhoods were destroyed. Residents have criticized the government's response, saying that rescuers were slow to arrive. Erdogan, who faces a tough battle for re-election in May, acknowledged shortcomings in the response to Monday's 7.8 magnitude quake, but said that the winter weather was a factor. The earthquake destroyed the runway in Hatay's airport, further disrupting the response. It's not possible to be prepared for such a disaster, uh, Erdogan said. We will not leave any of our citizens uncared for. He also hit back at critics, saying that dishonorable people were spreading lies and slander about the government response. Turkish authorities said that they are targeting disinformation and the internet monitoring group and, and said access to Twitter was restricted despite it being used by survivors to alert rescuers. Search teams from more than two dozen countries have joined tens of thousands of local emergency personnel in Syria and Turkey. All right, let's turn the page now and see what's going on here in Waterloo. The Waterloo murder appeal is rejected, but justices ask lower court to reconsider credibility of evidence. The Iowa Court of Appeals has conditionally upheld the convictions of a Waterloo man who allegedly killed a person acquitted of his brother's murder. In a ruling issued Wednesday, the appellate court turned down Raymond Burden Jr.'s argument over how jurors should have handled testimony from a witness. But it also sent the case back to the district court for a ruling on the credibility of evidence at trial. Chavandes Martin, age 22, was one of the three people charged with killing Burden's brother in a 2016 Logan Avenue drive-by shooting. Martin was acquitted at a trial in February of 2018, and months later he was found shot to death in an alley behind South Street. Burden was arrested. Prosecutors alleged that he was one of the people who shot Chavandes Martin. At trial, witness included Chavandes Martin's cousin, Denisha Martin, who allegedly brought Chavandes Martin to Burden and was charged in the case, as well as DeQuindes Glasper, who was with them the minute leading up to the slaying, but wasn't charged. Burden was found guilty of first-degree murder in 2021 trial. On appeal, Burden's attorneys argued that the court should have ruled that Glasper was an, an accomplice to the crime, a designation that would have prohibited jurors from using Gasper's testimony to corroborate Denisha's account. Under Iowa law, an accomplice's testimony 
has to be corroborated by other evidence, and accomplices can't be used to corroborate each other's testimony. The Court of Appeals found that there was no evidence that Glasper was involved in the slang. The opinion notes that he wasn't around when Denisha Martin called Chavandez to pick him up and, and didn't see any guns until Chavandez was delivered to Burden and wasn't one of the people who fled Waterloo following the slang. Nothing in this record shows Glasper knew of or was part of any plan to kill Chavandez, it states. The ruling did preserve Burden's argument that the guilty verdict was contrary to the weight of the evidence at trial. This sends the case back to the district court to make a ruling on the credibility of the evidence. If the judge agrees that the evidence was credible, the conviction will stand. If not, the court will grant a new trial. The court, I should say the trial court rather, uh, judge earlier noted the jury found the evidence credible. Okay, let's see. Let's go over here to Cedar Falls now. Donation Fund's new UNI scholarship. The gift will aid accounting students at UNI Urban Program with DMAC. A new accounting scholarship will provide more financial accessibility and opportunities for students enrolled in the new UNI Accounting Hybrid Program in Des Moines uh, Area Community College, better known as DMAC. A $94,000 gift from Des Moines area residents Mark and Jill Oman will be awarded to el eligible students starting with the first cohort in August. The two are graduates of the University of Northern Iowa's College of Business. Mark with an, an accounting degree in 1979 and Jill with a management degree in 1985. They live in West Des Moines. When we learned that UNI accounting degrees were being offered at UNI at DMAC and being a UNI accounting alumni myself, we wanted to provide scholarship support for these students, Mark Oman said in a news release. The financial challenges of affording an education today are significant at every campus and are particularly acute at the urban DMAC campus. Jill and I wanted to provide scholarship support for students at the Des Moines location, the same way scholarships are provided for students at the Cedar Falls campus. The UNA at DMAC partnership seeks to provide new affordable pathways for place-bound learners. It's 2.2, or I should say, excuse me, it's 2 plus 2 program, received a $1 million boost from the Omens in June 2020. Mark Oman, Managing Director of the Oman Capital, is a first-generation college student who's committed to helping others receive the benefits, the same benefits that a bachelor's de degree provided him. I'm very excited for this gift and, ha and how it will be benefiting students, said Paul Sapp, Associate Director of Transfer Admissions at the UNI DMAC Center housed on the urban campus. It, it shows the community commitment here in Des Moines to the value of earning in accounting education from the University of Northern Iowa. This drives home the magnitude of the program and the impact it could have for people and businesses in the greater Des Moines area. All right, let's see. Do we Okay, we got something here in Waterloo. It says, Courier is accepting eight over 80 nominations. Deadline for submitting nominations is April 18th. 
For the 13th year, the Courier is accepting eight over 80 nominations. The awards honor eight remarkable individuals who are 80 or older and who in in their own way have spent their lives demonstrating leadership. These honorees have made a difference and set examples in their careers and lives, continuing to contribute now and in the past of our community's well-being. That work can be behind the scenes as a mover and shaker in the spotlight or a successful vocation or avocation or as a role model and mentor. Submissions can be made by completing a form online at go.w. E-F-C-O-U-R-I-E-R dot com forward slash 80 over 80, and that's the number 80, 80 over 80. Deadline for submissions is April the 16th. Please go into detail to tell us why a nominee is an excellent choice to be honored. Generally, the more complete the nomination, the better the chances of being selected. Nominators may go beyond the space allowed on the form to tell us the story of the, of the nominee. Be sure to include the age of the nominee as well as accurate contact information, such as email address and or phone number. A committee of community leaders will read the nominations and make the selections. Once the eight winners are selected, the courier will interview and photograph the winners. Their stories will be published in the courier and the July 2023 issue of CV Business Monthly Magazine. The winners also will be honored at a June luncheon. Sponsors of this year's 8 Over 80 Awards are Cedar Valley Hospice, the Community Foundation of Northeast Iowa, and Western Home Communities. All right, let's take a look. What else is going on in the Waterloo area here today? Absentee voters can get ballots in election. Mail-in person options are starting on Wednesday, which was yesterday. The special election in Blackhawk County is a month away. There are three public measures on the ballot for the election happening on the 7th of March. One for the city of Gilbertville, one for the Ward 4 in Waterloo, and done, and one, excuse me, in the Hawkeye Community College 10 County Merged Area. Absentee ballots will be available beginning Wednesday for mail and in-person voting. The deadline to submit a written request for an absentee ballot and pre-registration deadline is February 20th at 5 p.m. March 6th at 4.30 p.m. is the last day to vote in person at the election office at the Black Hawk County Courthouse. On Election Day, Polls in the election office will be open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Voters must vote at their polling location. In Waterloo, voters in Ward 4 will decide who will fill the city council seat left vacant by Jerome Amos Jr., who was elected to the legislature representing Iowa House District 62. Ward 4 includes the area east of U.S. Highway 63 forward slash Logan Avenue, going several blocks to the west at Newell Street. The boundary continues south following the Cedar River and then 18th Street west until just a few blocks west of U.S. Highway 218. It continues following Highway 218 
and the interchange with U.S. Highway 20 and Interstate Highway 380 to the edge of the city. Well, you know, people, I think, are curious uh, about, you know, some of the best places, you know, you know in the country to work, work in and, and to work for. Um, and here is a company uh, that is right at the top, really, really something. They're called Green State Credit Union. Green State is among the top workplaces in the U.S. In North Liberty, for the second year in a row, Green State Credit Union, with locations in Waterloo and Cedar Falls, has been recognized as top employer in the nation for the Top Workplaces USA Award. The Top Workplaces program has a 15-year history of surveying more than 20 million employees and recognizing the top organizations across 60 markets for regional Top Workplaces awards. Winners are chosen based solely on employee feedback gathered through an employee engagement survey issued by Energage. Results are calculated by comparing the survey's research-based statements, including 15 culture drivers that are proven to predict high performance against industry benchmarks. Green State landed at number five this year among all employers in the 500 through 999 employee size. Green State is Iowa's largest credit union and one of the top financial institutions in the U.S. for returning profits to members in the form of better rates and lower fees. They also recently received number one top workplace award for businesses in Iowa. Green State serves more than 400,000 members with 33 office locations in Iowa and Illinois. Membership is open to anyone living or working in Iowa, as well as selected counties in Illinois, Wisconsin, Nebraska, and South Dakota. And I'd like to remind you that you're listening to the reading of The Courier for Thursday on the 9th of February. I am your narrator, Peter Welch, and this is IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind and the Disabled. Uh, we have no obituary news today, so we're just going to continue reading the regular news. Documents show officer never explained traffic stop to Nicholas. In Memphis, Tennessee, the officer who pulled over Tyree Nicholas from his car before police fatally beat him never explained why he was being stopped. Newly released documents show, and emerging reports from the Memphis residents suggest that was common. The Memphis Police Department blasted Demetrius Haley and four other officers as blatantly unprofessional and asked if they had that they be stripped of the ability to work as police for their role in the January 7th beating, according to documents released Tuesday by the Tennessee Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission. They also include revelations that Haley took photographs of Nicholas as he lay propped against a police car, then sent the photos to other officers and a female acquaintance. Nicholas died three days later. Yet what led to all the, all remains still a mystery. The five officers, Haley Desmond Mills Jr., Taterus Bean, Justin Smith, and Emmerich Martin III, were fired and charged with second-degree murder. Their attorneys have not commented to the Associated Press about the new documents. 
a sixth police officer also was fired, and the seventh suspended of duty. Six others could be disciplined. Officials disclosed without providing any details. That would bring the total involved to 13. Erica Williams, a spokeswoman for the top prosecutor in Memphis, said more charges could be filed. Meanwhile, officer, I should, excuse me, I should say, meanwhile, other residents, rather, are coming forward about interactions with Memphis police. A federal lawsuit filed Tuesday accuses the same officer now charged with murdering Nicholas, age 29, with also violating the rights of another man from the same neighborhood as Nicholas during a similar violent arrest three days before Nicholas's arrest. According to the lawsuit, Monturius Harris, age 22, was visiting a cousin at an apartment on the evening of the 4th of January when his car was suddenly swarmed by a large group of assailants wearing black ski masks, dressed in black clothing, brandishing guns, other weapons, hurling expletives, and making threats to end his life if he didn't exit his car. Harris thought that the men were trying to rob him, the lawsuit says, and he tried to back up his car before hitting something. He then reluctantly exited with his hands raised and was grabbed punch, kicked, assaulted for up to two minutes. The complaint states, The beating stopped only after people came out of their apartments to see what was happening. The lawsuit alleges photos of Harris's face taken after his release on, on bail about nine days later show thick scabs on his forehead and a healing black eye. The suit accuses officers of fabricating evidence to support charges against Harris. Also, a woman told WREG-TV that she tried to warn the Memphis Police Department about Haley after a February 21, 2021 encounter. Deja Town said that she was returning a movie to a red box machine at a Walgreens when Walgreens, excuse me, when police responded to a false shooting call. Police initially told her that she could leave. She said, but then officers stopped her when she put her car in reverse. Haley placed handcuffs on town so roughly that she feared her arm was going to be dislocated, she said. Her aunt recorded the encounter. Then police stopped her aunt and brother while they followed a squad car as it took Towns to a hospital. Towns said that she was never charged with anything. Okay, look at, uh, let's take a look at some Metro briefs here for Cedar Falls first. Civil War group to hold meeting in Cedar Falls. The Cedar Valley, uh, the Cedar Valley Civil War Roundtable will meet at 7 p.m. on February 16th. Charles Lott will present a program on the Rock Island Prison. He will discuss the organization of the prison camp for captured Confederate soldiers and the Associated Cemetery. He has researched an ancestor who was a prisoner and survived. And finally, in Waterloo, uh, schools in Waterloo will be closed on Friday. Waterloo Public Schools will be closed on Friday due to uh, district-wide professional development. And now we've got some other uh, digest uh, news stories here. Team, Putin likely okayed MH17 weapons. The, at The Hague, Netherlands, an international team of investigators said on Wednesday that it found strong indications 
that Russian President Volodymyr Putin approved the supply of heavy anti-aircraft weapons to Ukrainian separatists who shot down Malaysia Airlines flight MH17 in 2014 with a Russian missile. However, members of the joint investigation team said that they had insufficient evidence to prosecute Putin or any other suspects that they suspended for their eight-and-a-half-year inquiry into the incident that killed all 298 people on board the Boeing 777 flying from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur. Russia denied involvement in the downing of the flight over Ukraine on July 17, 2014, and refused to cooperate with the investigation. Dutch prosecutor Digner von Boetzeler said that without Russian cooperation, the investigation has now reached its limit. All leads have been exhausted. She also said as head of state, uh, Putin would have immunity from prosecution in the Netherlands. Bus crash kills two children, hurts six. A city has crashed, excuse me, a city bus, I should say, has crashed into a daycare center in Quebec on Wednesday, leaving two children dead and sending six to the hospital, authorities said. Driver Pierre Amand, age 51, was arrested and charged with homicide and careless driving. An eyewitness said immediately after the crash, the driver stepped out of the bus, ripped off his clothes and started screaming. The driver is 51, worked for Societe de Transport de Laval for 10 years and had no criminal history and had a clean work record, officials said at news conference. As of now, we don't know the motive for the crime, police spokesman Erica Laundry said. St. Amand faces nine charges, including first-degree murder, attempted murder, aggravated assault, assault causing bodily harm. He appeared in court via video late on Wednesday from a hospital room and will, will remain detained. Trump probe. Donald Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, met again on Wednesday with New York City prosecutors who have spent years examining the former president's financial dealings. He said that the meeting took roughly two and a half, two and a half hours, but wouldn't reveal details about questions he was asked. It was his 15th time meeting with prosecutors, he said. Evacuation lifted. Residents were able to return to the Ohio village where crews burned toxic chemicals after a train derailed five days ago, now that the monitors show no dangerous levels in the air, authorities said on Wednesday. Antitrust. Microsoft's stalled $68.7 billion deal to buy video game company, Acti or I should say Activision Blizzard, has hit a fresh hurdle in the United Kingdom, where an antitrust watchdog said on Wednesday that the deal would stifle competition and hurt gamers. Gun in school. A Connecticut 18-year-old was jailed on charges Wednesday after a fight in Hampton School led to the discovery of a gun and a high-capacity magazine hidden in a classroom closet. Crowd crush. South Korea's opposition-controlled parliament on Wednesday voted to impeach the country's interior and safety minister, Lee Sang Sangman, holding him responsible for government failures and disaster planning and the response that likely contributed to the high death toll in a crowd crush that killed nearly 160 people in October. 
Sweden, the Swedish Domestic Security Agency, warned Wednesday that the threat of attacks in the Scandinavian country increased in the weeks since a far-right activist burned a, a Quran outside the Turkish embassy in Stockholm. Later Wednesday, police de- declined to give permission to burn the Quran during a new protest. U.S. China has run balloons for years. Pentagon says that the craft destroyed last week was part of a program. In Washington, the Chinese balloon shot down off South Carolina coast was a part of a large surveillance program that China has been conducting for several years, the Pentagon said on Wednesday. When similar balloons passed over U.S. territory on four occasions during the Trump and Biden administrations, the U.S. did not immediately identify them as Chinese surveillance balloons, said Brigadier General Pat Ryder, the Pentagon's press secretary. But he said that subsequent intelligence analysis allowed the U.S. to confirm that they were part of a Chinese uh, spying effort and learned a lot more about the program. He refused to provide any new details about those previous balloons. Ryder would only say that the balloons flew over sites that would be of interest to the Chinese. One of the possible incidents was last February. Major General Kenneth Hara, the uh, adjunct general in Hawaii, tweeted about a balloon over uh, Cal High a year ago. He said that U.S. Indo-Pacific Command detected a high-altitude object floating in the air in the vicinity of the Hawaiian Islands and sent up an aircraft to intercept it. He said that they visually confirmed it was an unmanned balloon with no identification and markings. Ryder declined to say whether this one was one of the four previous incidences, uh, incidents that the U.S. has been discussing. Walmart shooting suspect pleads guilty. U.S. won't execute him. State charges could lead to death penalty. El Paso, Texas. A Texas man pleaded guilty Wednesday to federal charges accusing him of killing almost two dozen people in a racist attack at an El Paso Walmart, changing his pleas week after the U.S. government said it wouldn't seek the death penalty for the hate crimes and firearm violations. Patrick Sirius still faces a potential death sentence if he's convicted on a state capital murder charge in the 2019 shooting that killed 23 people. He pleaded not guilty in the state case, but his lawyers said he would enter a guilty plea to the federal charges. Crucisus appeared in the El Paso federal courtroom facing the 90 federal charges following one of the deadliest mass shootings in U.S. history. Crucisus, age 24, surrendered to police after the massacre, saying, I'm the shooter, that he was targeting Mexicans. According to court records, prosecutors have said he drove more than 10 hours from his hometown to the border city and published a document online shortly after the shooting that said it was in response to the Hispanic invasion of Texas. His alleged statements echoed both the anti-immigration rhetoric of American politics and racist uh, screeds put out by other mass shooters. More than three years after the shooting, the description of an invasion on the U.S.-Mexico border by Republicans has continued in American 
politics. Zelensky pushes for warplanes. President thanks leaders during surprise trip to London and Paris. President Volodymyr Zelensky sought Western support for his country to surprise visits to Britain and France on Wednesday, pushing for fighter jets to battle Russian invaders in a dramatic speech to the UK Parliament, then flying to Paris to meet the French and German leaders over dinner at the Elysee uh, Palace. Zelensky will join UA leaders Thursday at a summit in Brussels with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, described as a signal of European solidarity and community. Zelensky's European tour and pleas for more advanced weapons came as Ukraine braces for an expected Russian offensive. Western support has been key to Kyiv's surprising stiff defense. The two sides are engaged in grinding battles. Zelensky thanked the British people for their support since day one of Moscow's invasion, almost a year ago, as Prime Minister Zunik, rather I should say, and fighter jets were part of the conversion about aid to Ukraine. Nothing's off the table, he said. At an evening news conference at a British army base, we, we must arm Ukraine. In the short term, we must bolster Ukraine for the long term. Zelensky said that Ukraine needs all kinds of supplies, not just planes, but also ammunition and long-range missiles. Without this, there'd be stagnation, which will not bring us anything that will be any good, he says. Zelensky and Sunik held talks at the prime minister's 10 Downing Street residence before Zelensky's speech to lawmakers in the 900-year-old Westminster Hall, the oldest part of Parliament. In a dramatic gesture, Zelensky presented the Speaker of the House of Commons with a Ukrainian Air Force helmet inscribed by a Ukrainian pilot. We have freedom. Give us wings to protect it. The UK previously said it's not practical to provide Ukraine with British warplanes, but the government did say on Wednesday that it was actively looking at whether Western jets could be sent to Ukraine and was in discussion with our allies about it. Then it was off to Paris for dinner with French President Emmanuel Macron and Schloss, the German Chancellor. The visit marks a turnaround in Zelensky's relations towards France and Germany, which early in the war were viewed by many in Ukraine as not doing enough to help. Ukraine can count on France and its European partners and allies to win the war. Russia cannot and must not win, Macron said, before their working dinner. All right, let's see what else is going on here. Ex-executives admit mistake. They deny pressure to block Biden's story in the run-up to 2020 election in Washington. Former Twitter executives conceded Wednesday that they made a mistake by blocking a story about Hunter Biden, the president's son from the social media platform, in the run-up to the 2020 election, but adamantly denied Republicans' assertions that they were pressured by Democrats and law enforcement to suppress the story. The decisions here aren't straightforward, and hindsight is 2020. You'll Roth, Twitter's former head of trust and safety, testified to Congress. It isn't obvious what the right response is to a suspected but not confirmed 
cyber attack by another government on a presidential election. Yeah, the Twitter's aired in this case because we wanted to avoid repeating the mistake of 2016. The White House criticized congressional Republicans for staging a bizarre political stunt hours after Biden's State of the Union address. This appears to be the latest effort by the House of Republican majority, most extreme Make America Great Again members, to question and relitigate the outcome of the 2020 election, White House spokesman Ian Sams said in a statement on Wednesday. This is not what the American people want their leaders to work on. The three former executives appeared before the House Oversight and Accountability Committee to testify for the first time about the company's decision to initially block from Twitter's New York Post article in October 2020 about the contents of a laptop belonging to Hunter Biden. Republicans used the hearing to push a longstanding and unproven theory that social media companies are biased against them. Committee Chairman Representative James Comer said that the Hearing is the panel's first step in examining the coordination between the federal government and big tech to restrict protected speech and interfere in the democratic process. The hearing continues a year-long trend of GOP leaders calling tech company leaders to testify about alleged political bias. Democrats, meanwhile, have pressed the companies on the spread of hate speech and misinformation on their platforms. The witnesses Republicans subpoenaed were Roth, were Roth, uh, Vijaha Gadi, Twitter's former chief legal officer, and James Baker, the company's former deputy general counsel. Democrats brought a witness of their own, Annika Collier, a former employee with Twitter's content moderation team. She testified last year to the House committee that investigated the January 6th uh, Capitol riot about Twitter's preferential treatment of Donald Trump until it banned then president or uh, then president over the site two years ago. Well, with Thursday being here, uh, we've got the entertainment section here, and let's take a look here for, for what's going on in the world of television. Let's take a look. Peanuts classic. Oh, there you go. Uh, this is a Charlie Brown Valentine. This is on Apple TV Plus. In this 2002 Peanuts special, warm and fuzzy feelings fill the air around Valentine's Day as Snoopy writes poems about the holiday, tries to impress the little little red-haired girl, and Lucy hope to get cards from their crushes. And Peppermint Patty asks Chuck to the dance. All right, that looks like fun to watch. Uh, you can be any age to watch those cartoons. They're just, they're classics. They're just terrific. Uh, let's see. Netflix, a season premiere, a program called You, a psychological thriller based on Carolyn uh, Kepney's book, re- uh, Returns, for the fourth season with Penn Bagley, back a serial killer, obsessive stalker, Joe Goldberg, and Tady Gabriel reprising her role as Marion Bellamy from season three. All right, what else we got? Criminal Minds Evolution on Paramount, season finale. Season one of this reimagining of the Criminal Minds franchise concludes. The series, which has become one of Paramount's top five original shows, has been renewed for a second season. Hell's Kitchen on Fox, 
7 p.m. Season finale. The table is set for cheers, tears, and fanciers as season 21 of Gordon Ramsay's fiery job interview enters its final leg. And that should really be interesting. And then Mystic on Up TV at 7 p.m. In the portrayal, family secrets are revealing, feeling betrayed. And that will be on uh, at 7 p.m. on UPTV. Ghosts, CBS, 7.30 p.m. Trevor receives disturbing news about his parents. And when they come to Woodstone, B&B, to collect his newly discovered remains. Tara Reid guest star as herself in the new episode, Trevor's Body. And NFL Honors, NBC and NFL Network at 8 p.m. live. The NFL's season-ending accolades are handed out, and the 2023 Hall of Fame class is announced, and the ceremony at Symphony Hall in Phoenix, Kelly Clarkston will be hosting that one. Impractical Jokers, TBS and TRU-TV at 9 p.m. Season premiere, Brian Q. Quinn, James Murray, and Saul Volcano are back for season 10 of their hit comedy series, which will be simulcast on True TV and TBS. And let's not forget about catching a classic, and that's on TCM. The star of the month is Rita Moreno on TCM, beginning at 7 p.m. And the movies that they will be showing will be The King and I, The Vagabond King, Fort Vengeance, and The Yellow Tomahawk. So that will be also on TCM. All right, for you who might be parents, we have a, uh, in the remaining time, very briefly, there's a, uh, an article called Get the Lead Out. How to Reduce Your Child's Exposure to the Heavy Metal. The Food and Drug Administration urged food manufacturers to significantly reduce the amount of lead in processed baby food. Lead is toxic for anyone, but children are particularly vulnerable to the effects of lead exposure because they are still growing. Elevated blood levels of lead can cause damage to the brain and nervous system, slow physical and emotional development, and contribute to problems with learning, behavior, uh, hearing, and speech. But you may be wondering, why is there any lead at all in my baby food? Try not to panic, says Kim Kramer, a clinical dietitian at Newmore's Children's Health in Delaware. I know it sounds scary. The FDA's new guidelines aren't in response to a spike in contamination, but rather are part of an ongoing effort to reduce the amount of heavy metals that have long been in our food, she says. Now, like I said, we're running out of time here, but... Um, what you're going to have here are headlines in this article like, why is there lead in baby food? What are the new FDA lead guidelines? Is homemade baby food safer? And what can I do to limit my child's lead exposure through food? A 2022 study by Health Babies Bright Future, a food safety organization, found that homemade baby foods were just as likely as store-bought baby foods to contain heavy metals such as lead. So if you want to read more, that will be uh, in the uh, in today's uh, paper. And that just about does it for the reading of The Courier uh, here for Thursday, the uh, 9th of February. And I am your host, Peter Welch. 
Thank you for listening, and you've been listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Information Services Network for the Blind. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.